we present Monkey. An abridged translation of the great Chinese classic Journey to the West, written by Wu Chung-un, translated by Arthur Whaley, and narrated by Bob Jones. Chapter 24 Seeing that Monkey had even dragons at his beck and call, the king was just at the point of stamping the passports with his jeweled seal and sending the pilgrims on their way, when the three Taoists rushed forward and put in a petition, kneeling as they did so, which was quite contrary to their usage. The king, helping them to rise, asked why they had suddenly become so ceremonious. For twenty years, they said, we have done everything in our power to guard and succour your subjects and realms. Today these Buddhists have robbed us of all our credit. But we feel sure that you will not forgive murderers only on the strength of a single shower of rain. Can it be that you suddenly hold us so cheap? The king, in great perplexity, after havering for a long while, at last consented to withhold the passports if the Taoists would accept another trial of strength. How about a contest in meditation? said the tiger, strength immortal. I think that would be a mistake, said the king. Meditation is the special business of these Buddhists, and if they were not particularly distinguished in this line, they would not have been chosen to go on this pilgrimage. We have our own form of meditation, said the tiger, strength immortal. It is called the Cloud Ladder. We shall require a hundred small tables, fifty for each performer. They are piled one on top of the other, and one has then to levitate to the top without touching one's hands, sit down, and remain in motionless trance for several hours. Could any of you manage that? said the king to Monkey. Monkey hummed uneasily and did not answer. "'What's the matter, brother?' whispered Pigsy. "'Why don't you speak?' "'If it were just a matter of playing football with the firmament, "'stirring up the ocean, turning back rivers, "'carrying away mountains, seizing the moon, "'moving the pole star, or shifting a planet, "'I could manage it easily enough. "'Even if it were a question of my head being cut off, and the brain removed, or my belly being ripped open, and my heart cut out, or any kind of transference or transformation. I would take on the job at once, said Monkey. But if it comes to sitting still and meditating, I am bound to come off badly. It's quite against my nature to sit still. Even if you chained me to the top of an iron pillar, I should start trying to swarm up and down, and should never think of sitting still. I can practice meditation, Tripitaka interposed. Excellent, said Monkey. How long on end can you stay still? I had first-rate masters when I was young, said Tripitaka, and can remain suspended at the frontier between life and death 
for two or three years. Don't do that, said Monkey, or we shall never get to India. Two or three hours would be quite enough. Then you can come down. My trouble is, said Tripitaka, I don't know how I shall ever succeed in getting up. Take this job on, said Monkey, and I'll see to it that you get up all right. Tripitaka accordingly pressed the palms of his hands together, and addressing the king, said, I beg to inform your majesty that I can meditate. Strong men were sent for, and in half an hour or so the two towers were complete. The tiger-strength immortal came down from the palace, and making a magic pass, produced a carpet of cloud on which he floated up to the top of one of the towers. Monkey then made a five-coloured magic cloud on which he transported Tripitaka to the top of the other tower. When Tripitaka was safely seated, Monkey transformed himself into a gnat, and flying close to Pigsy's ear, he said to him, Brother, keep an eye on the master and leave all the talking to me. That fool laughed and said, as you wish, as you wish. Seeing after a time that there was nothing to choose between the competitors, one of the other immortals decided to give his colleague a little assistance. He plucked some short hairs from the back of his head, twisted them into a pellet, and tossed them onto the top of Tripitaka's head. Here they changed into a louse which began to bite him. Tripitaka felt first an irritation and then a sharp pain, but when people are meditating they are not allowed to move their hands. If they do, it counts as a point against them. After a time, unable to bear it any longer, he wriggled his head against his collar. Look out, cried Pigsy, he's going to throw a fit. I don't think so, said Sandy, it's just that he is giddy. The master is a gentleman, said Monkey. If he says that he knows how to meditate, he does know how to meditate. And if he said he didn't know how to, he wouldn't know how to. Gentlemen always tell the truth. You two keep quiet while I go and have a look. Still in the form of a gnat, Monkey flew with a buzz to Tripitaka's head and saw that on top of it was a louse the size of a small bean, which he hastily brushed off, and the master, relieved of his pain, once more sat stiff and straight. On a shaven head like that, thought Monkey, one might easily find a flea. But how did a louse get there? It's certainly the doing of one of those immortals. Ha-ha! Now that I've spoiled his trick, I'll try one of my own. He flew off and settled on the immortal's head, where he changed into a centipede and crept into his nostril. The immortal began to wobble and soon fell headlong from his seat. Had he not been lucky enough to be caught by some officials who were standing near, he would undoubtedly have lost his life. The king was horrified and ordered the ministers on duty to take the immortal to the hall of ornate flowers and clean him up. Monkey then lowered his master on a platform of cloud, and Tripitaka was acclaimed as victor. The king was just about to let them go, when the dear strength immortal came forward and said, Your Majesty, 
My brother has been suffering from a suppressed chill, which the draught up there brought on again. That is the only reason that he lost the match. But keep them a little longer, and I will have a match with him at guessing what is behind the boards. What do you call guessing what is behind the boards? asked the king. I am able to guess what is behind boards, said the immortal. Let us see whether this Buddhist can do the same. If he guesses better than I, let him go on his way, but if he cannot guess, let him be punished as you find fit, that our fraternity may be avenged, and the services that we have done to your country for twenty years may not be dragged in the dirt. So besotted was the king that he listened to this cajolery and ordered a red lacquered coffer to be brought. This was carried by eunuchs to the women's quarters, and the queen was asked secretly to deposit a treasure of some kind in it. Soon it was brought out again, and laid on the white jade steps of the throne. "'Both sides must now guess what treasure lies in this coffer,' said the king. "'Disciple,' murmured Tripitaka, "'how can one possibly know what is inside a box?' "'Don't you worry,' said Monkey, turning once more into a gnat and settling on Tripitaka's head. "'I'll go and have a look.' He flew lightly to the box, crept under it, and noticed that there was a slight chink between two boards at the bottom. He made his way through and found a court robe laid upon a red lacquered dish. He bit his tongue and spat upon it, crying, "'Change!' At once it became a cracked old kitchen dish with nothing but dust on it. Then he crept out and, flying to Tripitaka's ear, he whispered, Guess that it is an old cracked dish. I was to guess what treasure it was, said Tripitaka. An old cracked dish is not a treasure. Don't worry about that, said Monkey, but just guess as I told you to. Tripitaka stepped forward and was just going to guess when the dear strength immortal asked to be allowed to have the first turn. I guess that in the box there is a royal garment covered with symbols of earth and sky, he said. No, no, cried Tripitaka, it is an old cracked dish. That's not very polite, said the king. You seem to be making fun of my kingdom by suggesting that an old cracked dish is the best I can do in the way of a treasure. And turning to his officers, he said, Seize the fellow. They were just about to lay hands on Tripitaka when he cried, Your Majesty, wait at least till the box has been opened. If it is indeed found that there is a treasure in it, then I am grievously to blame. But should it prove that no treasure is there, you will have done me a great wrong by laying hands on me. The king ordered the box to be opened, and sure enough, there was nothing but an old cracked dish. Who put this in the box? roared the king. My master, said the queen, slipping from behind the dragon throne. I put in a royal garment covered with the symbols of earth and sky. This I did with my own hand, and I cannot conceive how it has changed into what is there now. Wife, get out of my sight, cried the king, 
such a tale as that you cannot expect me to believe. Everything used in your apartments is of the finest. Such a cast-off as this old dish could not exist there. And turning to his officers, he said, Follow me with the box. I'm going to put something in myself and try again. The king went to the flower garden behind the palace, and picking up a large peach, he put it in the box, which was then carried out to the front of the palace, and the guessing began again. Disciple, whispered Tripitaka, you must help me again. That's all right, said Monkey. I'll go and have a look. He flew to the box and crept in as before. What he found there was thoroughly to his liking. He resumed his proper form, squatted in the box, and ate up the peach with great relish, licking even the pouches in his cheeks quite clean. Then, leaving the peach stone, he changed back into a gnat, and flying to Tripitaka, whispered in his ear, Guess it is a peach stone. Disciple, said Tripitaka, don't tease me. Last time, if I hadn't spoken up quickly, I should in another minute have been seized and executed. This time I had certainly better guess that it is a treasure. You can't call a peach stone a treasure. Don't be afraid, said Monkey. Just guess and win. This time the ram-strength immortal insisted on guessing first, and at once said it was a peach. It is not a peach, said Tripitaka. It's only a peach stone. How can it only be the stone, roared the king. I put in a peach myself only a moment ago. The immortal guessed rightly. Perhaps your majesty would not mind having the box open before reaching a final decision, said Tripitaka. The box was accordingly opened, and all that it contained was the stone, without a trace of skin or fruit. The king was astounded. "'You'd better give up trying to compete with these people,' he said, "'and let them go. I put in a peach, and now there is only a stone. Someone must have eaten it. The truth is, I suspect, that spirits of some kind are secretly aiding them.' "'They little know what a long record of peach-eating lies behind them,' tittered Pigsy to Sandy. At this moment the tiger-strength immortal reappeared, washed and combed. "'Your Majesty,' said he, "'these Buddhists have the art of transforming lifeless objects. But if the box is brought again, you will see they cannot transform human beings. If we put this acolyte of ours into the box, I guarantee they will not be able to transform him.' The acolyte was accordingly put into the box, and the lid fastened down. "'Now, priest,' said the king, "'here is a third test for you. Tell me, what is in the box?' "'More guessing,' groaned Tripitaka. "'That's all right,' said Monkey. "'I'll go and have a look.' On creeping into the box again, he shook himself and changed into the semblance of an old Taoist. "'Master!' "'What lesson have you to teach me?' asked the boy. "'Those Buddhists saw you put into the box,' said Monkey. "'They will guess that a little Taoist is in the box, and we shall not win. "'Here's an idea. I'll shave your head and tell the immortals to say there is a little Buddhist inside.' "'I'll do anything you like,' said the boy, "'provided it brings us victory. 
We can't afford to go on being beaten again and again like this. We are rapidly losing our credit at court. Quite true, said Monkey. Come here, and when we've won, you shall have a handsome present. He took his cudgel, shook it, and changed it into a razor. Then, flinging his arms around the boy's neck, he said, Now, mind you don't scream if it hurts, ducky. In a twinkling, he had shaved the boy's head and stuffed the hair behind the lining of the box. Then, patting his shaven pate, he said, Now, child, you've got a priest's head, but your clothes are all wrong. Take them off, and I'll put that right. The boy was wearing a crane-down of onion-white colour, embroidered with the cloud pattern and bordered with brocade. When he had taken it off, Monkey breathed upon it with magic breath, and it became a brown, straight coat, which he made him put on. Then he plucked some of his hairs, which he changed into a wooden fish, such as is carried by priests, and put it into the boy's hand, saying, "'Listen here, my disciple. If you hear them say, Taoist acolyte, stay where you are. But if you hear anyone say Buddhist, raise the lid, beat with your wooden fish, and come out, reciting a Buddhist scripture.' I can only say the book of the three primordials, the book of the pole star, and so on, said the boy. Don't you know any prayers to Buddha? asked Monkey. Anyone can say, Oh me, Tofo, said the boy. That's good enough, said Monkey. It will save me the trouble of teaching you. Don't forget what you're to do. I'm off. And changing once more into a gnat, and flying to Tripitaka's ear, he said, Guess that it is a Buddhist. This time I feel confident of success, said Tripitaka. Why are you so sure? asked Monkey. Because, said Tripitaka, in the scriptures, Buddha, the law, and the congregation are called the three treasures, so certainly a Buddhist is a treasure. At this moment the tiger-strength immortal stepped forward and said, Your Majesty, this time... It is a Taoist acolyte. Hearing these words, the boy did not stir. But when Tripitaka said, It is a Buddhist, echoed loudly by Pigsy, the boy pushed up the lid, beat with his wooden fish, and calling upon the name of Buddha, scrambled out of the chest. All the spectators burst into loud applause, while the three immortals maintained a gloomy silence. There is no doubt about it, said the king, that these Buddhists are being helped by unseen influences. A Taoist entered the box, and here is a Buddhist. An accomplice might have crept in and shaved the boy's head, but he is dressed to match and is calling upon Buddha's name. You had better let these people go. Your Majesty, said the tiger-strength immortal, the proverb says... The chess player's needs a worthy adversary, just as the carpenter needs good wood. I own we should very much like to challenge these people to a competition in some tricks we learnt when we were young. What arts are these? asked the king. My head can be cut off, and I can put it back in its place, he said. 
The second immortal's heart can be removed, and he can make himself whole again. The third immortal can take a bath in a cauldron of boiling oil. The king was much astonished. That all sounds to me like taking frightful risks, he said. We can manage these things all right, said the immortal, and insist upon this final trial being made. Priests from China, the immortals are unwilling to let you go until they have had a final competition with you in head-cutting, belly-ripping, and bathing in boiling oil, said the king. On hearing this, Monkey at once changed into his true form and laughed aloud. That's luck, he cried. More business coming my way. I don't know why you should talk of business coming your way, said Pigsy. I can't think of three quicker ways to perdition. You don't know all my tricks, said Monkey. Brother, said Pigsy, I am willing to credit you with all sorts of transferences and transformations, but this sort of thing is beyond you. Not at all, said Monkey. Cut off my head and I can still talk. Cut off my arms and I can still strike. Cut off my legs and I can still walk. Rip out my heart and I can mysteriously recover. I can bathe in boiling oil with no other result than that I come out cleaner than I went in. Sandy and Pigsy roared with laughter. Monkey then stepped forward and said, Your Majesty, I am quite willing to have my head cut off. What gives you such confidence? asked the king. Well, said Monkey, years ago a first-class Zen adept taught me the art of having one's head cut off. I don't know whether I can remember it or not, but I am quite willing to experiment. My dear little fellow, said the king, you don't know what you are talking about. Head-cutting is no matter for experiment. The head is the chief of the six repositories of the element Yang, and if it is cut off, death ensues. Your Majesty, said the tiger, strength immortal, don't discourage him. This is just the very way for us to get our revenge. A place of execution was accordingly laid out, and three thousand soldiers of the guard were drawn up in file. My turn first, cried Monkey blithely, and was rushing off to the place of execution when Tripitaka caught hold of him, saying, Disciple, take care what you are doing. It looks over there as if they meant business. I'm not afraid, said Monkey. Take your hand away and let me go. On arriving at the place of execution, he was seized by the executioner, bound with ropes and led to the top of a small mound. At the word, strike, there was a swishing sound and Monkey's head fell upon the ground, where the executioner gave it a kick that sent it rolling just like a melon thirty or forty paces away. No blood came from the trunk, but a voice coming from deep down inside cried, Head! Come back! The dear strength immortal, seeing that Monkey had some trick, recited a spell to summon the local deities to whom he said, Keep that head where it is, and your shrine shall be rebuilt as a great temple. 
while your clay images shall be replaced by statues of gold. The deities were compelled by the immortal's magic, and did indeed stay Monkey's head, and though he cried again, Come here, head! The head remained rooted to the spot. Suddenly from Monkey's trunk came the cry, Grow! And a new head shot up from inside and replaced the old one. The executioner and the soldiers were thunderstruck, and the officer in charge of the proceedings rushed off to the king and announced that Monkey had grown a new head. He's cleverer than we thought, whispered Pigsy. Well, said Sandy, he's known to have seventy-two transformations, so I suppose he has got seventy-two heads. At this point Monkey came running up to Tripitaka. Dear disciple, said Tripitaka, it must have hurt terribly. It didn't hurt at all, said Monkey, and I found it rather fun. Brother, said Pigsy, I suppose you've put something on the scar. Feel my neck, said Monkey, and see whether there's a scar. That fool Pigsy put out his hand and felt. To his astonishment, he found that there was not the faintest scar or mark. The new head had simply taken the place of the old. "'Here are your passports,' said the king, "'and I advise you to start immediately.' "'Thanks for the passports,' said Monkey. "'But before we start, the immortal must try the same experiment.' "'This was to be a competition,' said the king to the immortals, and you must not let me down by allowing these priests to go away victorious. Exactly the same proceeding was accordingly gone through with the tiger-strength immortal, but when he cried, Head, come back, Monkey at once plucked a hair, blew on it with magic breath, and cried, Change! It changed into a brown dog which ran at the head, took it up in its mouth, and carrying it away to the royal moat, dropped it in. Three times the immortal cried, Head, come back! But the head did not appear. He had not monkey's art of growing a new head, alas. Blood spouted from the trunk, the immortal tottered, and presently fell prostrate in the dust. The officer in charge rushed to the spot, and on returning to the king reported, Your Majesty, where the immortal fell, all that is now to be seen is a headless, brown-coated tiger. The king turned deadly pale, while he fixed his gaze upon the two remaining immortals. My brother is undoubtedly no more, said the dear strength immortal, but I cannot admit that this brown tiger has any connection with him. That is merely an illusion created by these ruffians. They must now not be allowed to depart till I have competed with them in the ordeal of belly-ripping. That would suit me very well, said Monkey. Generally speaking, I do not eat cooked food. But a few days ago, a kind patron introduced me to try some pastries, and since then I have had a pain inside. I think the pastries have gone bad and I was just on the point of asking if I might borrow your majesty's knife, so that I may rip open my belly, take out my guts, and give them a good cleaning. 
I don't want to have any trouble on the journey. Take him along, cried the king. You need not drag me, said Monkey, when the executioner's men seized him. I am perfectly ready to go. All I ask is that my hands shall be left free. I shall need them for cleaning my entrails. Don't bind his hands, ordered the king. When they had tied him to a stake and ripped open his belly, Monkey calmly took out his guts and, after manipulating them for some time, put them back inside, coil for coil, exactly in the right place. Then he blew on his belly with magic breath and the hole closed up. Here are your passports, said the king. I won't delay your journey any further. It does not matter so much about the passport, said Monkey. The next thing is for the second immortal to have his belly ripped open. This has nothing to do with me, said the king to the dear strength immortal, but it was you who challenged them to this contest, and I must ask you to go and submit yourself to the ordeal. That's quite all right, said the immortal. I am quite confident of success. The immortal was just beginning to manipulate his guts, as he had seen Monkey do, when Monkey plucked a hair, blew on it with magic breath, cried, Change! And it changed into a ravening hawk, which spread out its claws, and, snatching the immortal's guts, flew off with them to devour them at leisure, far away, out of sight. After a short while, the immortal collapsed against the stake. The executioners rushed up, and what should they find but the body of a lifeless white deer? It seems that my poor brother has succumbed, said the third immortal, but that this should be his corpse is impossible. A foul trick has been played upon us by these ruffians, and I must have my revenge. In what ordeal do you hope to get the better of them? asked the king. I wager that he cannot bathe in boiling oil, said the immortal. A large cauldron was accordingly filled with oil. Thank you for this kind attention, said Monkey. It's a long time since I had a bath, and my skin was beginning to feel rather irritable. This will do me good. Faggots were laid under the cauldron, and when the oil was boiling, Monkey was invited to get in. Is it to be a civil bath or a military bath? he asked. I don't know the difference, said the king. For a civil bath one does not undress, said Monkey, but simply folds one's hands like this and bobs in rapidly. One must not dirty one's clothes. If there is a single speck of oil on them, it counts as defeat. For a military bath, a clothes-stand is necessary and a towel. One must completely undress, jump right in, and play about in the bath, turning somersaults and splashing about at one's ease. "'Which do you prefer?' said the king to the ram-strength immortal. "'If I choose a civil bath,' said he, "'I know this wretch would put some stuff on his clothes to keep off the oil. Let it be a military bath.' "'Forgive my forwardness if I again claim the first turn,' said Monkey. "'Look at him!' 
he leaps straight into the cauldron, plunging about in the burning oil for all the world like a dolphin in the sea waves. Pigsy, seeing him, bit his fingertip and whispered to Sandy, We have really never taken this ape seriously enough. We should have taken a very different tone about him if we had known he was capable of such a performance as this. Seeing them whispering together, Monkey thought that they were making fun of him. After all, he said to himself, it is I who have all the work to do while the incompetents sit round and enjoy results. It wouldn't be a bad plan to give them a bit of a fright. He made a tremendous splash and then suddenly sank to the bottom and changed himself into a tin tack. In this form he lay at the bottom of the cauldron and the officer in charge presently reported, Your Majesty, the boiling oil has done its work. The little priest is dead. Much relieved, the king ordered the executioner to fish up the corpse. He began to fish about in the cauldron with an iron skimmer, but the holes in the skimmer were large, and Monkey, in his present form, was very small. Each time he was scooped up, he slipped back again through a hole. He was very delicately built, reported the executioner, and seems to have evaporated bone and all. Seize the other Buddhists, said the king. Officers of the guard rushed upon Pigsy from each side, threw him down and bound him. Your Majesty, cried Tripitaka in great perturbation, grant me a few moments' grace. This disciple of mine, since he embraced the faith, has performed many deeds of prowess. Now that he has met his match in this third immortal, and perished in the cauldron of burning oil, I do not care what becomes of us. You are a king, and all who come under your sway must bow to your will. Command that I am to die, and I will gladly die, but this much I ask. Give me half a bowl of cold rice gruel and three paper horses, and let me offer them to the soul of the departed, then I will accept my fate. It is just as I have always heard, said the king. These Chinese are great sticklers for ceremony. Let him have what he asks. Beckoning to Sandy to come with him, Tripitaka went to the side of the cauldron, and some officers of the guard caught hold of Pigsy by the ear and dragged him along too. Disciple, said Tripitaka, addressing Monkey's soul, ever since you joined our order, you have faithfully protected me on my journey to the west. Little did I think that today you would go down to darkness. Alive you set your heart on the quest of scriptures, dead you still carry the name of Buddha in your heart, and who knows, but I shall find your ghost waiting for me in the temple of the thunderclap. Master, said Pigsy, that's not the way to talk to him. Sandy, give me a little of that rice broth and let me address his soul. Then, lying bound with ropes upon the ground, that fool grunted out the following invocation. Cursed ape, senseless groom, you looked for trouble and have found it. That cauldron has settled your account for good and all. We're well rid of you, monkey. We've seen the last of you, insensate groom. Hearing the fool's jibes, monkey could not restrain himself. 
and resuming his proper form, he stood up in the cauldron. You worthless lout, he screamed, whom are you insulting? Dear disciple, said Tripitaka, you nearly frightened me to death. Was anything cleverer ever seen, said Sandy, than the way our brother pretended to be dead? In consternation, all the officials, military and civil, rushed to the king and reported, The priest is not dead after all. He is standing up in the cauldron of boiling oil. Not at all, said the officer in charge. He is dead right enough, but it happens to be an unlucky day, and this is his ghost appearing. At this, Monkey jumped right out of the cauldron, wiped off the oil, dressed and seizing his cudgel, rushed at the officer, and pounding his head with it, he cried, So I'm a ghost, am I? Terrified out of their wits, the other officers let go of Pigsy, and kneeling before Monkey, cried, Forgive us! Forgive us! The king sprang from his throne and was rushing away when Monkey stopped him, saying, Your Majesty, don't leave us. The third immortal has still to take his bath. Immortal, said the king, trembling from head to foot, I must trouble you to get into the cauldron at once, or this priest will cudgel me to death. The ram-strength immortal went to the cauldron, and, undressing just as Monkey had done, got into it and began to bathe himself. Seeing him looking quite comfortable, Monkey called to the stokers to put on more fuel. Presently, he went up to the cauldron and put his finger in. To his astonishment, he found that the oil was quite cold. It was hot enough when I was in, thought Monkey to himself. What can have happened? I have it. There must be some chilly dragon hiding there. And jumping into the air, he uttered a sonorous, Um, by which he summoned the dragon king of the northern ocean. Now then, you horrid earthworm, you scaly loach, how dare you help this Taoist by allowing a chilly dragon to hide in the cauldron? Do you want to make a hero of him and see me defeated? Great sage, you do not understand, said the Dragon King. This creature, by practicing considerable austerities, was able to escape from his original shape, but the only magic powers that he acquired were the five thunder methods. Apart from that, he only learned a few paltry tricks that have nothing to do with true Taoism. By acquiring this chilly dragon as a familiar spirit, he was able to play all kinds of tricks upon the world at large. But you, great sage, should not have been deceived. I will at once call back this chilly dragon, and I will guarantee that the immortal will be boiled, bones, skin, and all. Call it in quickly, said Monkey, or you'll get a good hiding. The Dragon King, in the form of a magic whirlwind, rushed to the cauldron and, seizing the chilly dragon, carried it away to the northern ocean. Returning from the air, Monkey joined Tripitaka, Pigsy and Sandy, and they soon saw the immortal struggling and squirming. He made a frantic effort to get out, but all in vain, and in a little while it was all over with him. Your Majesty? announced the officer in charge. 
the third immortal has succumbed. The king, in utter despair, wept copiously and beat upon the table with his fists. If you do not know how Tripitaka and the others set things right, listen to what is told in the next chapter. been listening to Monkey, an abridged translation of the great Chinese classic Journey to the West, written by Wu Cheng An, translated by Arthur Whaley, and narrated by Bob Jones. <laughs> <laughs>